Global Broadcasting Networks presents Coach Talk Radio. Create the time, money, and lifestyle you want with tips, tricks, and techniques that get you started today from some of the best Internet minds in the business. Now, here are your hosts, Internet brand strategist Sandra Beck. Hey, guys and dolls. This is Sandra Beck, and we've got an amazing co-host today. She is so many things to so many people, and I'm so excited to bring her on. Angela, would you like to do the honors and introduce yourself? Because you have so many great hats you wear, and you're also one of my favorite authors. So I'm really, really excited to have you with me today. Wow, thank you. My name's Angela Breidenbach. And if you misspell it, that's okay. Google has learned how to spell it, but it's B-R-E-I-D-E-N-B-A-C-H. And my website's AngelaBreidenbach.com. I'm the Christian Authors Network president. And what that means is that I really love volunteerism because I do all of that as a part of my career, but I don't get paid for it. And it's about bonding together with other writers to help uh, traditional writers be able to market their books and what's interesting about that is I'm both a traditional and uh, an indie writer. And indie, honestly, nowadays just means self-published. And so when you do all of these different things, um, it's important that you understand that you have to be a part of different groups. And so we're going to have fun getting to that later on in this series. But what's really important is that you design the career of your dreams, who you are, what your brand is. And that's what I think Sandra and I are here to help you discover over the next 10 or so shows. Well, and I think it's so important that we establish, you know, kind of like, you know, some ground basis for what we're doing here. Uh, one of the things that happened last year when we did our Romance Writers series, we did a feature of a bunch of different best-selling authors and new books coming out. I got so much feedback, Angela, from uh, moms who wanted to write, who had this secret dream, who've been reading, you know, books for 20, 30, 40, sometimes even 50 years and their dream was to write their novel, to write their book, to write their short story, whatever it was. And we included some of these writer tips and, you know, in a couple of different episodes. And those were big hits and people would ask questions. And so one of the things that happened with me and Angela, I'd love for you to share your story. When I was a little girl, there was a lady down the street that sold her Harlequin romances. She got them in a box. I thought it was the most amazing thing. The box of books would come to her every month. I thought that was the coolest thing. And then she would read them and then she would sell them to me for 10 cents. I mean, the whole box of books for 10 cents. And I just really loved her. And I loved that she would do this for me. And it started this, you know, love of reading and sparked all different genres. But I always thought I could write. And my brothers made fun of me. My dad made fun of me. I come from a family of engineers. And my mom was like, yes, you can. Yes, you can. And she supported me going to journalism school at Northwestern and then getting my master's degree there. And, you know, I haven't written in a long time. I love it. But I I go back to those days where, you know, my mom believed in me, but everybody else kind of made fun of me. And even now, my kids will see some of the books I'm reading and they go, Mom. <laughs> But it's so important. I mean, Angela, this is, I mean, these books are some of the most well-read, dog-eared, best-selling books in the world. Yet, you know, we all have this little secret dream. Well, you know, I I don't know if I mentioned this to you before, um, because we've had some phone calls and some um, some great, rich just discussion as friends in that love the writing industry and love books. But when 
I was going through, you know, my lifetime, I've, I've wanted to be a writer. Um, uh, and I would say a creative, like a performing creative. So, you know, I sing, I like to do a little acting. I've done some commercials, that kind of stuff. Um, I've done some stage shows. Um, so it's like, if you're a creative, you're creative, you might be an artist, you might be a writer. Um, but what happens to creatives is we happen to be super, super sensitive. And so when other people say, Oh, I hate admitting that. Don't you hate admitting that? I hate admitting that. Yes. Cause it says walk all over me. I'm a doormat. Come on over. <laughs> so when people say, Oh, I didn't like that. The first thing we want to do is be the little perfectionist and go fix it so that they'll like it. Then we go back to that same person who negatively said, I don't like that. And they're like, eh, it's okay. And we take that to mean they still don't like that. So we go back and we perfect and we perfect and we start getting into this little hamster treadmill. And as creatives, it's very easy to give our power of approval away to somebody else. And we lose our sense of creativity because we get depressed or we get down. And in all honesty, the, this started really young for me because I sing. I would sing in the car and my older brother would start heckling me and tell me to stop faking my voice. And I'm like, this is my voice. When the hell am I faking my voice? Right. Mm-hmm. And so- and then it kind of went on from there. You know, I went through a really um, disastrous marriage. And in then I tried to write my stories. I loved Harlequin like you do. And Christian fiction and, um, let's say, you know, fiction in, that had to do with the spiritual angle, you know, really didn't much exist when I was going through my teens and my 20s. And it started to come in a little bit with the novel Christie. And there was some fiction that was Christian, but it was it was very old. And so it, there was nothing really in the modern realm of it. Um, my favorite thing was romance and stories that were just really rich. So when I'd start to write my stuff, I didn't even know how to do paragraph separation or, and yeah, I took writing in school, but collegiate writing, high school writing, this kind of, it's so different. And so when I'd give it to people I loved and I thought they, you know, cared enough about me to encourage me, instead it would just be ripped to shreds, right? And I gave away that power for, for like 10 years in my 20s and finally, finally started to realize I just needed to study the craft myself, do it myself, and then when I was ready, I could bring it out to people who really cared about the craft versus people that I was giving my power away to. Does that make sense? Oh, I love that. I was getting teary-eyed for part of that because I could so relate. And, you know, when we have these stories inside of us and we share it sometimes with what we think is a well-meaning friend or family member, and they just blow it through full of holes, you know, so many things in, uh, you know, I can relate in my first marriage, my story ideas, you know, my ex-husband had his own agenda and that's okay and that's fine, but he would shoot my stuff full of holes and it never even like these babies weren't even born yet you know they were just like like you know heads blown off of the womb and that's the end of that one but I always kept this little journal and when I was ready and when it was time to write and I I like you even though I went to journalism school and worked as a journalist completely different writing apples and oranges and you were one of the most beautiful people to tell me okay look these are the changes you need to make and you know 
it was so great because it was respectful and I needed to hear it. I needed to learn this specific craft within writing because writing is not just writing. Writing is, is like I like the Eskimo word for snow. There's 200 different kind of words for snow. There's 200 different types of writing out there, maybe more, who knows. But that's why we're here. We're here to support you if you guys are at home, at work, and you have a dream to write your story and you want to be heard, you want to tell this, Angela and I are here to support you. We're here to be with you in this 10 or 12 part series. I don't know how long we're going to go. We're going to go as long as it takes to cover what we need to cover. Right, Angela? That's right. (laughs) You have questions. We will fill in the answers, even if we don't know your questions. That's right. That's right. And, you know, you're talking about two women who have been around the block a few times. We've had successes. We've had failures. We've had families. We've, we're raising our families. We're, we're volunteering. And for me, Angela, this is a big deal because this is part of my ministry. One of the things that I promised myself is if that I ever got my voice back, which I lost my voice in my marriage when I divorced and worked on myself, I got my voice back that I would provide information to people who wanted it for free. They could just pick up the phone, pick up the, you know, um, pick up the computer, whatever they want and listen to it and learn. Because I was lucky. I was plucked out of obscurity, you know, upstate New York, farm girl, given this world-class education. Well, by the grace of God, if I hadn't had that, I don't know where I would be today. And I want everyone who wants to learn to have that opportunity. That's why we're here today. I think when we share what we know with other people, we make the world a better place. And it's it's the same thing as the Girl Scout or the Boy Scout motto of leave your campsite better than the way you found it. And when we do that for other people, when we pour into other people like that, and by the way, so many other people poured into me that I, I couldn't even name them all. But as we go and an example comes to mind, I will name them in order to honor them for the gift they gave me of education. But I want to point out a couple of websites really quick, because if you don't know anything about anything, let's say, and you, you don't really even know your interest, you're interested in writing, whether it's journalism, whether it's fiction, whether it's nonfiction, whether it's you don't know, a couple of websites to go to to start getting a little bit of education on what it is that you're interested in, um, where you can get free education, are edX.com and creativelive.com. I take those um, classes that are offered there for free often. I have certifications in a lot of stuff because I am a learner, a student, and I want to learn. Now, let me tell you why you take these classes. Whatever you're going to write, even if it's fiction, even if it's romance like me, you need to be able to create characters that have different occupations, different lifestyles, and you need to understand those lifestyles or those expertise areas enough that you can write a believable story using them. So one of the things that I would say is the most important right now is to build your education based on your interest and become an expert in whatever it is you're interested in. And it doesn't mean you need a college degree. It just means you need to travel down each one of those rabbit paths and build education into your life so that you can then translate that onto the page and into characters. 
Well, there you have it, girls and guys. edX.com, creativelive.com, and the best part of it, it is free. You can log on at your local libraries. You can log on at home. You can find it on your phone. These are great things. This is just one of the tips that you're going to hear in this series. We've got lots of them for you. We're here to support you. We're here to excite you and ignite that flame so that you can tell the story that you want to tell. Now, you might want to look up Angela, uh, look up her website. It's Angela, A-N-G-E-L-A, Breidenbach, B-R-E-I-D-E-N-B-A-C-H.com. Now, also, this is a series, so you can find this series under iTunes. You can find it on Toginet. Dot com, and you can also find it on motherhoodtalkradio.com. You'll see writing series plus the topic. There'll be at least 10 episodes, maybe more. We'll be back after the break with more great information with Angela Breidenbach. LinkedIn, it's a great tool and a great way to do business in today's social media-driven world. And Carol McManus is the LinkedIn Lady with the LinkedIn Lady Show, Tuesday and Wednesday afternoons at 4 p.m. Eastern on allbusinessradionetwork.com. The LinkedIn Lady Show is designed to inform, inspire, and educate businesses. Every social media site has a specific demographic, personality, and purpose. And the LinkedIn Lady will interview a variety of guests, such as business owners who can showcase their business and talk about how they use social media, such as Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Google+, Pinterest, and of course, LinkedIn. For more on Carol and the show, check out her website, LinkedInLady.com. As trends change and new applications become available, the LinkedIn Lady Show will bring that information to you in an easy-to-use, fun, and engaging way. Every Tuesday and Wednesday afternoons at 4 p.m. Eastern, it's the LinkedIn Lady Show with Carol McManus on AllBusinessRadioNetwork.com. Star Wars movie, The Force Awakens, has eclipsed the annual gross domestic product of 10 countries. Officially the highest grossing movie of all time. Did you know that Ewoks speak a combination of Tibetan and Nepalese? Harrison Ford, the rocket jock, complained that when flying the Millennium Falcon, the cockpit switches wouldn't stay in place when he flipped them. So the set designers for The Force Awakens made sure there were new cockpit switches for Han Solo's iconic ship. I thought it was interesting that the lightsaber noise was created from the familiar hum of an old television. Do you think you can tell a lot about somebody based on what color lightsaber they have? Why did the angry Jedi cross the road? To get to the dark side? Maybe? It's words you never heard. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Taking care of business every day. Taking care of business every way. Taking care of business. It's all mine. Taking care of business. Working overtime. Taking care of business. Hey! 
Hey guys and dolls, this is Sandra Beck and I'm here with Angela Breidenbach and this is the first in our writer series and we're going to talk today about rejection and I know that sounds like a funny way to begin but I think a lot of times, you know, people get rejected even before they've had a chance to get started or get their feet wet and Angela, you gave some great um, opportunity for people to take some classes online at creativelive.com and edX.com, not only to try on new occupations, but also to kind of expand your ability. You know, when I was in my 20s, I lived next door to this lady, Bessie, and she was 98 years old. I loved her. And I still have her potted palm that she gave me like 30 years ago, and it was 50 years old when she had it. So that's like Bessie in my corner at my house. And she would always tell me to dig deep, dig deep, dig deep. And at 25, I know there's 25-year-olds out there that could dig deep. I couldn't. Mine would just like bounce off the rock. I'd get the shovel out. I really didn't know what that meant. Now, 20 years later in my 40s, I get it. I didn't have enough exposure. I didn't have enough. At least I didn't. And, you know, not knowing is not a sin. Not knowing is not a mistake. But not knowing is also something that you have some control over. And that's why we're here today. Yeah, because not knowing is limitation. And what we want to do is break down those barriers, those limitations on our lives, because, you know, you really do have a calling. And I believe, you know, I happen to believe in in Jesus. And so um, I'll put that out there right now that I believe that when you were made in your mother's womb, that and when I was made, that our, our DNA was made as such that we have not just a calling our life, but a God-given dream or goal. And, you know, whatever you believe in for, for faith or whatever, um, I bet you agree with me that there is some sort of dream or goal that is just deep within you. So. Oh. Absolutely. I mean, when you think back to when you were a little girl, I used to write these little Snoopy stories. I would, you know, we would watch the Snoopy special, you know, the whole family would stop and we watch the Snoopy special. And I would sit down and write like, you know, what if Snoopy went like there was the Snoopy went to California? You know, what if Snoopy had five brothers and sisters and he was the youngest? And, you know, what if he went back to when he was a puppy and there was the whole litter? And I would go on and on about this stuff. That's God given. That is part of why we are here as a purpose and what's funny Angela is when you brought that up I kept thinking about all the the pop psychology out there that's about be yourself be yourself and then of course we look on television media and we see you better be a size six you better have these big lips you better have these big boobs or you're not worthy (laughs) (laughs) right so we've got these conflicting messages but the beautiful thing about a writer is you get to not only be yourself express yourself but be somebody else for a while it's really fun, and what I've found is interesting that um, a lot of creatives are innately shy or quiet, but when they take on the um, characteristics or the the connectivity of the character, that suddenly they can be very outgoing. And I'm I'm trained to be outgoing. People think I'm outgoing. They think I'm an extrovert. But when you when you take some of those personality tests. You find out, oh, she's really an introvert. Well, how did that extrovert thing happen? And it's it's because there were certain things in my life that placed me in situations that I became very lonely and felt very rejected. So this is a really great topic right now. And in that sense of rejection, 
I had to break out of that um, quiet or internal mode and put myself out there to build friendship, to build confidence, to build courage, and to be able to speak my mind or speak in candor. And that's really what like my brand is, is being a woman of confidence, courage, and candor. And in all of my books, whether it's uh, Gems of Wisdom that's going to have a re-release later on this year or um, Bitter at Bride where the gal comes out of in, in the 1890s and she comes out of prostitution and she's so ashamed of who she is. That, but she has to have the courage to keep going on and build her confidence to get an education because she's been rejected by society. You know, And so many of us have experienced that feeling of rejection. But uh, unless you face it down and go forward through it to find the other side of it, you know, you can get yourself really stuck in a very internal mental spin. And that's where a lot of writers find themselves when maybe they don't know what they don't know, just kind of what we were talking about. And they turn in a book and they, they think it's wonderful, but they don't know what they don't know. And it gets rejected. And then it becomes an internalized, I'm not good enough. I can't write. I'm terrible. And the reality is that you can write. You have the talent. But just like anything else, you don't go to the Olympics and become Michael Phelps unless you have spent years training. You don't become a published author unless you have spent the time learning the craft or the skill of your talent. Does that make sense? Well, absolutely. And I, you know, I'm going to be like your little farm girl friend and give you these silly analogies. But, you know, I remember when in my school, they taught us how to sew and how to quilt. And we had a homemaking class. And I remember some of these girls coming in so frustrated that they couldn't like, you know, we had to sew these little like pinafore dresses, you know, like a little like a sundress. And the other girls doing it, I avoided them. I went into English. Okay, well, we didn't have a choice. Everybody had to take it, and you know, we had to take home ec. And I remember sitting there, and I was so embarrassed, Angela, because my mother sewed a lot of my clothes, you know, when I was little, and she made me a pantsuit, and she made me things. We didn't have a lot of money, and so this is what we did. And there was a girl in my class, Melissa, who had 13 brothers and sisters, and, you know, she, we could just sew. We were ripping it up. I'm like, I made myself a ski bag. I made myself a purse. I made myself all these things, and I was so proud of what I could do, and but the other girls kind of laughed at me and made fun of me. And they're like, oh, my God, look at Holly Hobby, little homemaker. Eh. And that still sticks with me today. But that just shows you that rejection can happen when you're really good yep. or when you're not good. And right. so having a solid sense of yourself is so important. And both Angela and I have been rejected. Guess oh. what? We've both been divorced, correct? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so we're recycled to something better. Um, it's all the way you spin it and look at it. But rejection is just part of it, and it's okay. And if you want to avoid rejection, then never try, because that's the only way you can avoid rejection. But if you just say to yourself every day, part of me trying this is going to be some failures and rejections, and I'm okay with that. That's not about me. It's about what I'm doing, and it just means I need to maybe learn more, do more, or try again. Right. Try that again. kind of self-talk. Don't you think that makes a difference? I think the self-talk is huge. And I think also um, depersonalizing it and seeing it as a numbers game as well. And what do you learn from that? 
So, you know, I used to do a lot of sales. Now, it wasn't my first choice to go into sales, but sales, whether, you know, I did radio sales, um, you know, selling commercials to people in town, and then I'd write the commercials for them, and sometimes I'd voice them. But I wouldn't make every sale. And when um, I learned that, you could not personalize the loss of that one sale. And in fact, you couldn't see it as a loss. You needed to see it as that it's just statistics. And when you get a letter of rejection, they, they can be really, really good because that editor may have really enjoyed it or that agent may have really enjoyed some element of your story and they write a personal note on it. That's considered a good rejection. And I mean, probably no other um, business in the world do we say, oh, that's a good rejection. <laughs> well, but it is. I mean, not everybody can sell your book. Not every publishing line can represent your work. Not every publisher or editor or agent is good at their job. And, you know, maybe they're having a bad day. There's so many things that could go into it. But I just want to jump in here really quick and talk about some stats here for those of you that are like me, my little OCD friends. Five years of continual rejection. Agatha Christie finally gets sold. Her book's sales are in excess of $2 million. Um, I'm sorry, $2 billion. Um, Harry Potter uh, was rejected by 12 agencies. Louis L'Amour, who my dad used to love, 200 rejections before he became one of the best-selling authors with $330 million in sales. And my favorite, because I'm a Dr. Seuss junkie, he was told he was too different from other juveniles on the market to warrant its selling. That was a rejection letter sent to Dr. Seuss. He's the ninth best-selling fiction author of all time with over $300 million in sales. And you can go to some of these sites like litrejections.com is one of my favorite places to go when I feel bad because they have all these things about 140 rejections for Jack Canfield for chicken soups for the soul because anthologies don't sell. These are point of view. These are opinions. So we got to put them in the right perspective. Yeah, it's about perspective and statistics. And when you take that personal sense out of it, and you start to see it as simply a business action, and what can I learn from that business action, then you can start really succeeding in the change that you need. Um, maybe there's a craft or a skill level that they are suggesting you learn, or maybe it is simply, like you said, not the right thing at the right time. If you can think of a, a publisher or an agent as myopic, um, they're very, very narrow in their view. And what that means is they know their niche market. And without that element, they have their own brand. And if you're sending in to that particular agent or editor, you have to fit that brand. And that is the biggest problem with us going in for rejection is we don't realize the brand. Love that. That's so important. We don't realize the brand and the brand is what kind of books do they publish? What do they look like? There's usually a theme or there's some kind of continuity in the types of books that they're publishing or, or editing or working on. So you got to do some detective work to figure this out. And this is one of the best ways that we can help you avoid as much re rejection because nobody likes it, quite frankly. But it is there. It is part of the industry. Uh, I'm going to take us to commercial break. Our guest today is Anne. 
Angela Breidenbach. You're going to want to check out her books. You're going to want to check out her website. And I'm going to leave you with this little message on the break. The Tale of Peter Rabbit by Beatrix Potter was rejected so many times that she decided to self-publish her own 250 copies. It's now sold 45 million. We'll be back again after the break. expert, Annette Hammond. To lose weight, we know that each day we need to burn more calories than we take in through eating, and exercise burns more calories. According to Discovery Health, a 150-pound person will burn about 60 calories while taking a one-hour nap. One hour of sitting and watching television burns about the same, but if that 150-pound person takes a one-hour brisk walk, then say goodbye to more than 250 calories. Cardio exercise like running, biking, swimming, and brisk walking are the best modes of exercise to burn the highest amount of calories and will get the endorphins flowing in your body. Those feel-good neurotransmitters boost your mood naturally. So use exercise to burn calories, lose weight, and to feel good. I'm Annette Hammond. To hear other fitness and weight loss tips, visit our website at AnnetteHammond.com. This is the Tokinet Radio Network, radio with a cutting edge. It's Marching We have a book titled The Art of Doing Nothing by Veronica Bien in our guest room by the bed. I'm telling you, this book is an impossible challenge. In the state of Maine, it's said that someone who bottoms chairs for a living is lazy, presumably because one's bottom is perpetually in the chair. To sozzle means to laze around or perform a task in a sloppy way. The word is mainly found in New England. A quote from 1848 describes the term as used by housekeepers in certain parts of Connecticut to refer to a lazy person. Other words for lazy people are abbey lubbers, scabberlatchers, and slaughter pooches. To me, the ultimate love lolly is someone who is too lazy to even fake like they're working. It's marching day. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Taking care of business every day. Taking care of business every way. Hey, ladies. This is Sandra Beck, and this is Coach Talk Radio. And, guys, you're tuning in to find out how to write your great American novel or the great English novel or the great Australian novel, because we are in 17 different countries. And we are coming to you today with Angela Breidenbach. And we are talking today about rejection, how to avoid it, how to handle it, and how not to internalize it. Now, Angela, how many years have you been uh, writing? I mean, I know you've been writing since you were a little girl, but that you would consider yourself a professional writer? I started actually writing in about 1998, 1999 for my youth group because I used to run the youth group at my church. And um, 
I couldn't find exactly what I wanted for a couple of different programs. And so then I started writing those. And then I turned those into magazines for like group magazine and stuff like that. And then I started doing my own devotionals. And I started writing more journalistically, more devotions, um, articles, magazine articles, that kind of thing. And then I realized I really wanted to write books. So I started in 2004 attending writers' conferences because I didn't even know how to write dialogue, you know? <laughs> and then uh, 2005, I started going to RWA, Romance Writers of America. And then from there, I was directed on toward other groups, which I know we're going to get to. So stay tuned through this whole season that we're doing here. All of these sessions, we're going to come up to what types of writing groups you might want to belong to. Um, and I probably belong to, uh, probably belong to five or six or more at any given time because of different elements in my writing that I either wanted to strengthen or marketing, um, networking. There's all sorts of wonderful reasons. And so I, I actually got my agent and you're going to get to meet her next, um, and in one of the upcoming sessions and her name is Tamara Hancock Murray. And she started repping my books and then sending me back information. And I was rejected by, oh gosh, five or six other, you know, agents during that time span. But I was really glad because there's, you have to have a, it's like a marriage getting an agent. And we'll talk about that. But, it, you know, getting rejected was, no, you don't write this, or no, you do that. And so, you know, trying to figure that out was interesting. Building a relationship with somebody that you're going to be with long term, that's really important. And then one of the things that I learned over the years, my first book was uh, nonfiction, actually. And, <clears throat> excuse me, it's called Gems of Wisdom for um for a treasure filled life. And that one's going to be re-released as, um, gems of vision. <laughs> I can't even talk. Gems, <laughs> gems of wisdom, the treasure experience, because really that's what it's about reaching in and digging deep. Like you said earlier and finding that experience and then putting that on the page. And how does that relate to your, you know, that book probably got rejected. I don't know, eight or 10 times before it found a home. And, I didn't get upset and my agent would call me and she'd say, well, how come, you know, you're not upset when I'm telling you this really bad news, everybody else cries or they scream or they get upset. And I said, it's just a numbers game. You'll find the home for it. And if you don't, I'll find another way. You know, if you want to put a wall in front of me, that doesn't mean there isn't a door or a window or a glass door out the back patio <laughs> that I'm going to find a way to do what I need to do with that material. It just hasn't found its right home yet. And that doesn't mean it even has to be traditional now. But you have to learn the business before you go um, indie. And I think we should make that another show is whether you do traditional or indie or both. Because it's really crucial to understand what, why, and when. And not try to put it out there before your, your writing is skilled enough that it won't get rejected by readers. Because getting rejected by a publisher, getting rejected by an agent... And getting rejected by readers, that's a whole different ballgame, right? Well, it is. And, I, you know, it's funny when you talk about getting rejected by readers. I remember this one Harlequin romance that I read, and they said it in my hometown area, a little place called Canandaigua, New York. And these characters went and visited Roseland. And Roseland was like this dinky little, you know, it was adorable. It had like a carousel and a little thing, teacups that went over the water at the head of my lake. And it had a little roller coaster called the Skyliner. You could fit the whole thing in like a Sears, you know, <laughs> It wasn't 
about this thing. And, you know, when she wrote about this romantic night at Roseland, I was so excited. I was so excited. But I'm like, it was clear. First of all, this woman couldn't write. And second of all, she'd never been to Roseland. And, you know, I just, I was so mad at that author. And I wrote to Harlequin. I'm like, you need to, and I was like 16, you know, and you need to make sure that your writer can write and you need to make sure your writer gets their facts checks. Because once you break that trust, like, I don't, I would never go back and read anything that person wrote again. And I think that's what scares um, new writers is what if I'm not good enough? And what if readers reject me? Well, there's a couple issues there. One, have you done your work and learned the craft and gone through critique groups and worked through a lot of the different conferences and maybe um, gone to some intensives? Um, one of my favorite writing teachers is Margie Lawson, and I, I don't get paid anything for referring people to her. But um, she's I would swear she's the reason I'm published because it's M-A-R-G-I-E-L-A-W-S-O-N. Because she took me so much deeper in the craft, backloading sentences, power loading, you know, the sentences, um, understanding the rhetorical devices, making it a page turner, um, hooks. And I, you know, I was learning a lot of that in conferences, but she took me so much deeper in almost into this, definitely into the psychological elements of it, including, um, body language and narrative and how that shows a richness, um, of, physical dialogue, you know, and so she teaches a lot of that. And when you start to understand that and you start to understand how to tighten your sentences and how to write with, you can call it a several different things, cadence or, or musicality, but there's a beat to the sentences. And when your sentences are not tightened, you lose this internal mental beat, this internal cadence. And without that musicality, um, it is a hard read. It isn't hard because of the topic. It isn't hard because the words. It's hard because it doesn't sing in your mind. And that is often found when you read your words out loud. You can tell if you're tongue twisting all over the place that you haven't found the cadence or the musicality, the beat. And that can be different for different genres. So, for instance, you might be, I'm a more, I would, I would say I'm a more lyrical writer, but somebody who I, I love, there's a couple of writers I adore that are very lyrical writers, meaning that, I mean, I, their words just sing in my head. And, um, that would be someone like Tosca Lee. That would be, um, someone who they, their writing is longer sentences, richer description, that kind of a thing. Well, I'm not quite like that, but I'm also not a staccato writer, which you might find in thriller or action. But when it comes to an action scene, even in romance, the black moment, an argument between characters, things like this, your sentence structure needs to shorten, 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 and move faster. And that's what picks up the pace of writing. And when you don't know all of those things, that's when readers get frustrated. Your your research isn't done correctly, such as Roseland, did you call it? Um, yeah, Roseland. Yeah, and if you're if you're okay, e- even down to your calendar. When I write a book, I know I choose a year, and I actually go search out on the internet and find that historical calendar because I like I write a lot of historical romance. So I look at that calendar. If I'm going to say it's going to be a full moon, there better have been a full moon at that time because some reader is going to figure that out and. 
you know, paint it out. If no, that I, would be me. I fact check stuff because I, when I read stuff, I'm like, I want to know if what I'm reading is right because I don't want to be at a party and say, hey, by the way, did you know like the Wolfman, you know, appeared in Hollywood, you know, and, it, <laughs> and you 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 feel stupid and then you feel let down by the writer. So there's a great journalism thing that I'm going to throw in here, Angela. When I was in journalism school, they were religious about pounding into our heads, get it right, get it right, get it right, and the best line from professor haney god rest his soul i still remember it 20 years later if your mother tells you she loves you check it out so fact (laughs) check fact check fact check i think that's absolutely important and it's even right now i'm writing a book that goes between montana and scotland and um i'm going to scotland in the future but i haven't been there yet so how do i fact check right now i'm going on to google maps and i'm taking it down to the man on the street level I'm looking at what the buildings look like. I'm looking at how many blocks it is to where I want my characters to go for a football slash soccer tournament, where I want them to go for um, restaurants or schools or anything like this. I'm going down to Google Maps Man on the Street. And the reason is I don't want to describe this gorgeous park if they're in the middle of an industrial place, you right. know, which I had to switch part of my setting because I found that out. <laughs> but that's where you can get rejected by readers. When your facts are off, when you haven't tightened your sentences, when you don't have a cadence that makes it sing, when your um, craft and skill doesn't make them turn the page, um, when when you haven't developed your characters, and when you technically lie to your reader, because you do make up fiction, but you cannot make up science or actual fact or if you're going to use a place then that's real, then you need to use the real place. You can make up a place of your own, but then you have to get into world building. And they need to be able to trust your world, your world building is consistent. So that's how you avoid getting rejected by readers and editors and agents. There's a lot to this business, and you are able to do it. You have to become a student of the business. And then when you know you've done all that stuff, It's just a numbers game. Well, and you're really telling us, you're giving us a lot of tips on areas to explore. So we don't want to hear you don't know what you don't know. We're exposing (laughs) you to these things. If you're not sure about some of these things, you can Google them. You can look them up. I went on Margie Lawson's site. It's M-A-R-G-I-E Lawson, L-A-W-S-O-N.com. And just so you know, she doesn't break the bank and she hasn't paid for any endorsements, but she has a a five-week first draft coming up for $75. We're not talking about breaking the bank here. There's lots of online information out there, and we're going to give you great resources. Now, when we come back from the break, we're going to talk a little bit more about some of these tips and tricks that we can can take into our writing careers so that we can avoid as much rejection as we can. There are so many different uh, websites out there. We're going to try to weed through some of these and give you the best of the best. If you want to learn more about Angela, go to Angela Breidenbach.com and you can get her books there and you can also find them wherever books are sold and on Amazon and when we come back from the break we're going to talk more about rejection
you heard? The pages of American Patchwork and Quilting magazine come to life on our new weekly online radio show, American Patchwork and Quilting. Join Pat Sloan, our blogging and quilt designer host, as she talks about the latest trends, ideas, and inspirations. Her guests include quilt pattern designers, authors, quilt shop owners, and our editors, all quilters just like you. Call in with your questions. Get quilting tips from industry experts. Learn about free patterns. Hear behind-the-scenes stories from our magazines, American Patchwork and Quilting, Quilt Sampler, and Quilts and More. Get the scoop on free stuff and find out more about the best independent quilt shops in North America. To listen to a live show, tune in Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Just log on to allpeoplequilt.com slash radio. To hear past shows, go to iTunes and search for American Patchwork and Quilting Radio. We hope you'll join us because we know that quilting changes everything. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert Annette Hammond. Even though the numbers are a little better, our country is still in crisis when it comes to childhood obesity. The numbers of overweight and obese children are staggering. It's time to get serious about conquering childhood obesity and really obesity in general. There are so many reasons why weight has a significant impact on the medical, emotional, and social health of people of any age. But many people do not know that if you are obese with a body mass index over 40, you have a 50% greater risk of death from cancer than those of normal weight. Obesity is associated with 20% of cancer deaths in women and 14% of cancer deaths in men. Let's get serious about exercise and healthy eating and obliterate obesity. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. Visit our Facebook fan page at Fitness Minute with Annette Hammond. Taking care of business every day. Taking care of business every way. Hey, everybody. This is Sandra Beck, and I'm here with Angela Breidenbach, and this is the first episode in our writing series, and we are talking today about rejection. Now, I have to share with you, in my 20s, I wrote heavily. I haven't done much in my 40s, um, but in my 20s, I was, was writing a lot, and I got a lot of rejections, and 99.9% of them were lovely. They were actually nice rejections, helpful rejections. They gave me input. They gave me, especially from Harlequin, I thought they were really top-notch, and um, granted, that was 20 years ago, but... Um, I got really nice rejections from them and pointers on how to improve, which I really appreciated. But there was this one lady, and I don't remember her last name. I do remember the publishing house, and her name was Hillary. So we're just going to call her Hillary. (laughs) And she wrote the meanest, bad dog rejection to me I've ever seen in my life. And I have it somewhere because I saved it. I even made copies of it in case I lost it. And I will, I can tell you the first line. It said, ew, like E-W-W, exclamation point, exclamation point. Eek! And then E-E-K. And then she's like, what an unsavory milieu. What a horrible location. What a disgusting. And I was like, I couldn't believe it. I felt somebody had punched me through, like, right through my soul. And I, it was only, it was a, it was a very simple story, Angela. It was about two different people who went over to Romania to adopt. And it was based on a true story in my family. A single dad and a single mom went over there to adopt, didn't know each other, met each other through the process, came back to Chicago. They actually each got a child and fell in love in three years, got married and blended the family. Oh, that's Thought it was a good idea. Great idea. Well, 
apparently it was an unsavory milieu and disgusting in a horrible environment. And, you know, I stuffed that manuscript and I still have it, you know, in the back of my, you know, like kind of dead manuscript box and never looked at it again. I was, I was so upset. I didn't write for almost a whole year. Okay. Well, let me tell you about one of mine. (laughs) And by the way, I'm friends with this agent. You know, I like him. He has a more dry sense of humor. And, um, but he doesn't pull any punches and he's not my agent and he's not, I'm not in his agency. So, um, but, um, I wrote my first fiction story that I tried was called when she wasn't looking and like you, I drew on some truth. And in fact, most people, that's what they do. They draw on, there's some, there's some truth or some experience that draws them into the interest to write that story. Well, in, in my case, Um, there's date rape is, you know, uh, a problem for a lot of women. And, and it happened to me in, in a very unusual way. And, uh, I never, this, this was somebody that I thought I was going to marry and then I didn't. And because of this experience, and then I thought, you know, maybe I could help other women through writing this story. So I wrote this story and here's the interesting thing. I got back from, um, I, I put it into two different contests and the first contest was, they're both for, um, un, unpublished, never before published writers. The first contest, I happened to get the result back and it was awful. The, the judges, um, of that particular contest gave me fifties, uh, and forties out of a hundred points and told me that I was a terrible writer and that the, I really needed to take a lot of classes, dot, 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 you know, that kind of thing. And mm-hmm. it's just all these holes and all this terrible stuff. Then a week later, I got back the judging from the next contest and I won first place. I won money and I won a scholarship to the next year's conference. Same, wow. Same book. So then I talked to the published authors and people who had read that one that chose it. And of course I'm traumatized from the first one because it was the first time I'd entered a contest. And, um, then I, I can't understand why it was so badly received in the one contest and why it won first place in the other contest. And so I'm talking to the others and they're like, you know, sometimes there's hot buttons that, that hit people wrong. And I'll tell you about this, another one in a second. And what happened was, um, they said, this is actually good writing and you should turn it into an agent. So I turned it into an agent and that person sent back a note. I wouldn't call it necessarily a good rejection, but it, it was sort of in that note. He said, you're a good writer. I am so sick to death of, um, women writers having to write about rape. I don't want another one of these. Right. Okay. Well, I'm like, oh, okay. In my story, um, this happens to her. She gives birth to a child and then she decides to keep the child and the person gets his comeuppance. Okay. That's the best way to describe that story. But in the process, she comes to learn to love herself and learns to love again. And that's of course what makes it work out. But getting that rejection from that agent made me think there's nothing new under the sun that I can do with this story. So, and this other contest hated it. But at least I can get more education because this one contest, you know what I mean? There was yeah. a mixed bag of rejection in that one. And yet it was a step in the right direction for me. I still have that story. I am considering pulling it out and rewriting it. Um, but 
um, only because now that was done in 2007. And I think now I've taken so many more classes that I'm a better writer. I understand the craft better. So I think I could tighten, get the musicality, do the backloading of the power words and all this stuff. And I think it, it would be a better story. Um, but then, you know, and other rejections I've gotten have been, you know, I, I write a little bit of cat comedy and, um, I, I won't say the publishing house name because they have done, they're, they're wonderful. And in this case, they just didn't know what to do with it. And so they, they said, you know, your following isn't as big as Snoopy and Garfield. And so we don't think we can do this one, but it's cute. <laughs> Well, and that's really important that you bring that up because presence is so such a big deal for lots of people in not only the radio industry, the television industry, but product endorsement and book writing. If you don't have a following or you don't have something like that, it's okay, but you need to build some things through social media and, you know, through your writing opportunities and networking, which we'll talk at a later date. But it's a very valid point if they say we don't want to launch a new product or we don't want to launch a book in here because at the end of the day, book publishers are a company. They have to sell books to stay in business. So to dog a company because they didn't choose a book, they have to make the best decision they can, Angela. I run a company, Motherhood Incorporated, employs moms to work in the tech fields from home. Yes, I have some dads that work for me. I get, I got this one lady who was so great, and she's like, I write poetry. That's great. I love your poetry. I think it's hilarious. I can't use you. I don't. It. produce poetry anything yeah and not only does if it even if it's not the brand but quite often they will write a one two and five year business development program um if you know anything about business and if you don't guess what that's what they do and if you send in a book that could be the most wonderful thing in the world it doesn't one fit their brand two it doesn't fit their business their development program that they plan on their business plan for the next one to five years, they can't take it because it's outside of their goals. doesn't mean it's bad, you know? And in fact, they said, please go publish this somewhere else because we love it, but it's not in our business plan. And so that's why I say is good rejection. You know, it could be your, your platform, which means the number of people that follow you, read you, and then you're going to hear the same argument from, from new writers as, as ever. It's like, well, how do I get a platform and people to read me if I don't have anything published? Yeah, we're definitely going to get into this one in a future segment because it's really important and there are great ways to do it. There are great ways to do it. And I just want to clarify what you talked about. You know, that whole thing about, you know, their their five-year plan and everything really comes down to one simple thing. You don't go to Victoria's Secret to buy an ear of corn. And so (laughs) if Victoria's Secret starts to sell ears of corn, sell your ears of corn with them. But each publishing house is a business first and foremost, so you have to make sure you send your ear of corn to the company that sells ears of corn and not, you know, bras and panties that could probably fit near corn. And what's so interesting is that the editor who was really interested in, in that book and series that I was promoting, we brainstormed this all together. We had a lot of fun with it. 
And we were both sold on it. But when they put it against their business plan, it just wasn't quite right. And so, you know, my agent uh, was really worried about my feelings. And, and this editor was really worried about my feelings. And ultimately, my feelings are, I still love you guys. You're still my friends. I'll send you something different. Um, that fits your business plan better now that I understand your business plan better. And so we're still friends and I love that company and I love those people. And I think it's really important that we don't go negative when we get a really good rejection where somebody says, you write great stuff. It just doesn't fit my mold. Okay. Then find the mold it fits or make your own mold. And it's not their job to tell you where to shop it around. That's what I hear a lot of times is they want to go back and say, well, where should I sell it? That's your job. You know, that's your job as the owner of your ear of corn to figure out where you go to sell it. It's not the publishing house and you don't call back and say, well, where should I sell it? What should I do? That's that's not their job. And I think if everybody stays in their own lane and we all understand what our roles are, a lot of this rejection just becomes common sense for good business. And don't try to compare to another author because your point is to become uniquely you once you understand the craft and your voice and who you are. And sometimes good rejections will give you some suggestions because they might happen to know another editor. I've actually had editors say to other houses, you should take a look at this. I think it fits you. And that has worked out well. So, but that's by and far not the norm. I I would say don't new writers. Bridge, don't ever fire back. Well, I don't like you because you didn't buy my book. Because you never know a year or two or five down the road where they might be in a different house, or they might be able to offer a networking suggestion to another editor. And you know, it does happen more than you think. Yeah. Absolutely. That's why 20 years later, I still remember that lady, Hillary. I remember her name. And, yep. you know, yep. when you're rude to somebody, when you're angry, you know, take those feelings of rejection and take them to the gym, you know, take them to the park and walk them off. You know, it's just an energy. It's not the end of the world. Um Gosh, pray. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, you guys, um, we're visiting today with Angela Breidenbach. You can find her at AngelaBreidenbach.com. There are more series in our series. So check us out on iTunes. Check us out on Coach Talk Radio. Check us out on TogiNet. It'll be under Writer Series in the topic. You're not going to want to miss this. We'll be back again next week. Thank you for listening. On behalf of Sandra Beck and Scott Frazier, we want you to get out there today to make more money with less time and effort so you can live the life you want. Tune in next week for more tips, tricks, and techniques from Coach Talk Radio.